Hey, it's Rishvin. So if you've been following us for a while, you may remember that back in August, we teased a collaboration between our podcast and Erica's Bouncy Boy YouTube channel. But if you've been following our socials, you may have realized that due to our academic, professional and personal commitments, we've been taking a bit of a break from content creation. But now that we're back, we're finally here and ready with the episode. So the video version of this episode will be coming out on Erica's channel in the near future. But right now, sit back, relax and enjoy the uncut uncensored and unfiltered version of spilling the tea on the American college experience. Hi, I'm Rishvan and I'm a rising sophomore and proud terrier at Boston University. And hello, my name is Erica. I'm a proud Tar Heel who's a rising junior at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And welcome back to another episode of Bouncing Forward. Yeah. So uh, today I'll be invited, Richmond, um, a very close friend of mine from Taylor's Debatus, who's, um, you know, as his intro said, he was at BU, uh, to share or more so spill the tea on the American college experience as an international student or specifically in Lane. Well, pretty much. I mean, as a rising sophomore, I've spent, what, about nine months, approximately two semesters in the U.S. So I think that's a lot of time spent in America and I hope that my experiences are informative. Yeah, and today I have pre- both of us be- prepared like six questions to answer to hopefully clear out your misconceptions. Uh, this is a collaboration with Richmond's podcast called Undilted New. Yeah, please do drop it a follow on Spotify. It's also available on any audio platform you can think of. Exactly. And the episode is got like this video will but the first version will be out on my channel, Bouncy Board. And the uncut version... The uncut, uncensored version will be out on Tunnel Tit News. So we'll be spilling the tea on this episode, of course. But if you want more hard-hitting answers and some of our more controversial takes, you'd want to, you know, follow Tunnel Tit News and, you know, listen to the episode. Yep. So are you ready to get into the spicy questions? Ready when you are. Okay. So, Rich, the first question is, why a U.S. education and how did you decide if the school was a good fit for you? Good question. So, I think it's important to start off with how I got there. So, right out of high school, I did my SBM. And then I find out that you can't just go to college right after your SBM because overseas, that's considered 11th grade. And most schools require you to have completed up to grade 12 to gain admission. So... I chose A-levels because people said A-levels was a good path to know, leave your options open. Because at that time, like, although I really wanted to go to the U.S., I was still considering schools in Australia, schools in the U.K., schools in other countries as well, maybe even local schools. So I thought doing A-levels would be, you know, a good pathway. You know, it's four subjects. It's still exam-oriented. It's, like, pretty similar to what I'm used to. So that's why I did A-levels. And why the U.S.? Personally... I really valued extracurricular opportunities because during the application process to the U.S., like, there is a lot of, like, insight that cool schools are looking for, not just into your your academic record, but also into, like, your interests and what you can contribute to that school. And I thought it was really interesting because I felt like the schools actually wanted to get to know who I was as a person. And that made me feel a lot more valued. And at the same time, because... I'm someone who people know me. I spent a lot of time 
I pour a lot of effort into extracurriculars when I was in high school. So I didn't really want it to go to waste because when looking at schools elsewhere, it felt like the focus was a lot on like your degree and what you're going to do like after that, like, oh, you're going to go work in the field. But it's whereas the U.S. has a more holistic outlook towards your development as a person. So that's what spoke to me. And that's a big reason why I considered U.S. schools above anything else. Yeah, I definitely agree on you with like... um keeping your options very open. Very much so. Because like one thing that I noticed when I was picking where to go to was me being like someone who's very social science and um, humanities based kind of person like me. I, I wanted to make my degree a bit more flexible as in like I wanted to have that flexibility to choose my majors. And I think the U.S., has that because of the liberal arts education that they have Mm -hmm. so that's something like i noticed but like in terms of my pathway i was a chinese vernacular school graduate uh i took uec and i joined adp which is the american degree transfer program and i personally chose to go to america because like like what richard said me holistic evaluation like I always really enjoy essay writing. Okay, enjoying might be a bit of an overstatement because it was really stressful. But I like the fact that um, it seemed very personable, mm-hmm. very personable to me. And there's just something about um, campus culture in the U.S. that makes every university so distinctly different from one another. Like I'm pretty sure, like Carolina is completely different from. BU. I mean, of course, BU doesn't even have a football team. Why that is, I have no idea. Exactly. I, I don't know either. I'm not going to question what they do, but essentially, I chose Carolina because it had a really strong, um, like, I thought it was a good fit for me because it, number one, had a really strong political science faculty. At the time, I was only majoring just in political science. Okay. And then I wanted to venture into, like, media. So I decided to double major in political science and public relations and advertising. So I'm in the hustle and journalism school right now, too. And I think UNC, just in general, for a school, um, great liberal arts education, campus culture, like Carolina has so much character. Like I got to meet a lot of people before I went over in terms of like just chatting online uh, because I couldn't go for orientation due to COVID. Yeah. So that was like how it was like for me in terms of the fit. Like what about you, Rich? For me, it was a lot to do with like the fact that it had a decent CS school and also there's something called the BU Hub, which... Right now, I'm not a huge fan of, but at the time, it seemed pretty interesting. It w- it's a system in which, in order to graduate, you need to be- take classes that fulfill specific hub units, right, which right. is like trying to ensure that you get a degree that's really rounded. So you- even if like I'm a STEM major for context, I'm studying computer science, but you're required to have a set number of humanities courses and a set number of humanities units so that you know you don't miss out on that aspect. And as someone who, you know... I enjoy that aspect of my high school experience. Like I did a lot of debate and public speaking when I was in high school. So I definitely didn't want to lose that side of me by, you know, choosing a STEM career. And the fact that BU gave me the opportunity to do that. And also just, I think location was also a really big factor for me. Boston University is an urban campus, you know, we're right in the heart of Boston. It's a really great city. We've got 
decent public transit. People are really friendly. And it's honestly, it's just a vibe. Like going on, going on YouTube, you know, just watching campus vlogs, I thought it would have been a good school to go to. And that's why it was an option I considered. Yeah. And what you mentioned made me realize something. I think a lot of people in Malaysia have this like concept, like this concept where prestige is the only option you choose a school. Oh, 100% is something like, I'm not ashamed to admit it, it's something my parents and extended family definitely cared like, about when, when applying, you know? Yeah, but what I think I would tell people about like choosing a good fit in general would be to consider like a bunch of other things, like not just prestige because there are tons of good schools, but what makes a difference is finding out which of those good schools would be most feasible for what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Like I chose Carolina because of the liberal arts education that they could provide me, as well as campus culture being like a D1 athletes, athlete school, both very like a good balance between like, um, you know, having a lot of fun, like going to games, like basketball games and stuff. And also just meeting really academically passionate people. Like that was the vibe that Carolina gave to me. And it was also a pretty high-ranking school. Like, no, not in, like, it is a public Ivy League for a, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, what I want to say is that when it comes to choosing what you like, you have to, you know, count it multiple factors and not just prestige. So, it, for instance, campus culture, you know, accessibility, um, like what Richmond said, like the urban neighborhood works really well for him. Mm -hmm. Like city. Pretty much. Just for having me. things around me. Exactly. Like for me, uh, Chapel Hill's like a college town almost. It's not super city-like, sure. but it works for me too. So just like watch YouTube videos and figure out like what, like what Richmond said, you know, watch videos, yeah. figure out what fits for you. It's like, don't just choose the highest ranking school that you can get into. Like yeah. make sure you can see yourself fitting in into the campus culture and you can see yourself spending four years at that campus. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Question two is about adapting. So how did you adapt to the American college experience as an international student, or more specifically, a Malaysian international student? Ah, I see it's a very specific question. I guess for me, because, okay, I don't know if it's the same for you at UNC, but there is a very small Malaysian population at BU. Like, okay, I mean... We do have a Malaysian club, but like it consists of like what, 10 people? It's pretty small. So it wasn't like an option that was readily available to me. And the funny thing about going or about me going to BU is that although although I knew that there were Malaysians going to BU, I didn't know them prior to like actually landing in the US. So I like I would like to say I went in blind. So my MO once I was in the States was like, okay, I'm gonna stick with what I know. Just because it's in America, just because it's a whole different country, it's not going to be that different from, you know, going to a new college or going to a new school. So I thought, what better way than to try and attract like-minded people, you know? So I did what I always default to is just join clubs that I'm passionate about. I think for me, debate is something that really helped me out while I was doing A-levels at theaters because... You know, when I started A-Levels in Jan January 2020, I only had like three real months on campus before COVID hit. Right. Obviously, things went online. So how I really connected with people is really through Debate Club because I like doing debate. We still had debate tournaments online. So yeah. that was an opportunity to engage with our peers. And that's how we met Erica. So yeah. that's also a fun anecdote. But 
yeah, going to debate, going to like computer science clubs for me, doing model UN, that's something that really helped me find people that, you know, could help me out along my college experience because you already have a shared interest, which is, you know, liking that activity and that made it easier. But also like if clubs isn't your thing, I'd say just like making definite class because I think it's important to note that it's not just you in the same boat because it's not just the international students. It's also the people who go there. Like all the freshmen are in the same boat. Like they don't have friends. They want to make new friends and they also just want to like expand their horizons and your network, all that, all that fun stuff. So they'll also be looking to connect. So all you have to do is really just like keep trying to find points of interest or at least like make an effort in class so you like ask people their names or like maybe just like talk a little bit about material because I'm sure people are more than willing to you know engage with you because what I found is people tend to be really friendly so yeah might as well take advantage of that fact yeah I do agree that Americans are a lot more approachable than the average Malaysian I mean let's just say they put themselves out there a lot more than we do yeah I definitely agree I and I don't think I think they they don't really have like they're pretty good with small talk. If oh, you know. very good at small yeah, talk. Yeah, I thought I was good at small talk. But then I went to America and I was like, yeah. There's levels to this game. You yeah, right for levels. People there are like, but definitely agree with you. Like, but did you see yourself like as an extrovert? Because you know, a lot of people think like, if you put yourself out there, you have to be like extroverted, which I think is just not what I believe to be true. My anxiety doesn't make me feel like I'm an extrovert, although people do say that I do put myself out there, so that has to count. I'd like to think I'm more of an in-between, you know? Yeah. I'm an extrovert a lot. Like, I'm an extrovert around people I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Pretty much. But, you know, it can be hard. Like, no matter how extroverted you can be, like, even if you're good to talking to people, going to a new location and just being around people you're not familiar with is always going to be, like, a bit of a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Because... I think a lot of people get the misconception that, you know, oh, Eric, like for me, they're like, Erica is like so outgoing, you know, because she's so extroverted. That's why she gets to like make friends with a lot of people. Like number one, like I think the term extrovert and introvert is like extrovert, you you gain energy from being around people, whereas introverted people, you you need time to recharge when it comes to like meeting people. So like... I don't think it really depends on if you're extroverted or introverted a lot, but I would do I do say that putting yourself out there is not an easy thing to do. Not at all. But for me as an international student, what I really wanted, because like Wishbin, there is not a big UN like Malaysia population at UNC. My only other Malaysian friend is my friend from Connect, and it's like basically the both of us, you know? Okay. Uh that's actually from Malaysia not American-born, if you get what I mean. So finding a support system was really important for me because I don't have family in the States as well. Same here. My cousin just graduated from Notre Dame and that's like a totally different state from mine. So I don't technically have like a support system there. And uh, I really wanted to find people that I could, you know... Vibe with? Vibe with? I mean, you know? what better way to put it, right? Yeah. So... I guess for me, it was a lot of like, everything was a trial and error process. I went to a lot of club interest meetings. That's how I got into DiFi, the Dialectic and Philanthropic Societies. Um, and I went to like, I, I joined a play. I started a play. Look at you entering your theater kit arch. Okay. To be fair, like I, 
yes, but <laughs> yes, but no. Yes, but no. But the whole idea was like I decided to join a play. I also signed up for uh, the Carolina Unions Activities Board. So there were like tons of things that I was trying out. And what I would say is that adapting was really much, very much a. Um, I don't really have to stick. Like a lot of people think that you have to stick with the same group of friends. Oh no! No, you don't. Like you, it's college. You're gonna be a bunch of like all kinds of characters. Yeah, I think this is just like general advice to anyone, even if you're going to like a local college, just anywhere. Yeah. Like it's good to have multiple circles. Like I see, there's a lot of value in that because you don't yeah. not just you don't want to limit yourself, but also like there's a lot to gain from just like speaking to people. Yeah. For sure. And like in one aspect, I would say like a lot of people would say that especially international students, there's definitely that worry of not fitting in. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. And what I would usually say to that is um, you just got to keep trying because I know that it's hard. Like it's definitely hard to like keep putting yourself out there. <laughs> but if you don't keep trying, you wouldn't have like a support system you know, uh, or you wouldn't be able to find people that you could bond with. And I think that socializing and networking is a very big part of like your college experience, in my opinion. So like, don't give up on like meeting new people. Um, fall, I know a lot of people are starting the new, like the fall semester very, very soon. Yeah, very, very busy period. Yeah, so like, people are more than happy to like, meet new people yeah people are looking to reach out yes everyone wants connections and no one i think i'm right in saying that no one really wants to feel alone yeah when they're going through college experience because this is like people say college is one of the best years of your life right so be like that you you want to you want to make the most out of it yeah so i guess that's how we would yeah keep trying to make friends guys Question three is about comparing and contrasting the differences. So what are the differences between the US and Malaysia? Were there moments where you faced culture shock? Elaborate. Oh. I will say I do be missing free speech sometimes. Oh my God. You know, but let's just leave it at that. Um, ooh, it depends. There's a lot of differences because the US is... The United States of America is huge, you know? It is. So big. It's really big. I think I got to divide it into like things on like a micro level, like things that I can see at a surface level. And then also things that are more implicit, mm -hmm. like in terms of like culture and the way people interact. So firstly, going there, I'm just like, everything's so big. Like people are big. <laughs> as Asian, as an Asian person, I feel small. Oh, yeah. That's definitely one thing I've noticed. Second thing, portion size. Portion sizes are huge. I will say I like literally cannot finish a meal. Or at least I couldn't finish a meal like the first time I got there. So that was one thing. And also, this is this isn't really an observation that I felt like at the time. But since being I came back to Malaysia for holidays, people just said that I started being a lot louder than I used to be <laughs> which is funny because I've always been known for someone who talks a lot and someone who is like loud but apparently I think it's just a thing that Americans in general are just really really loud mm. and I guess that also just ties into the fact that Americans just are very good at small talk I think they're just really good at talking and socializing yeah I think that's one thing I've noticed mm -hmm. but more implicit differences I think it's just people's approaches to new things and new people 
I feel like there is a lot more openness to at least the people I meet in college, which might be contradictory to stuff that you might see in the media about the US. But at least in my experience, because I tend to be, I go to a very like liberal school in a sense. So a lot of people seem very interested in where you come from, but they're also very like aware of things that may be uncomfortable to you. So I felt that not only people have been welcoming, but they're also trying to make sure that, you know, things that they say don't offend me they and like i feel people actually want to learn more about you you know Mm -hmm. people actually want to understand what it's like coming from different cultures because i think it's interesting to bear in in mind that america's got like 50 states right so even just like going to another state can feel like going to another country you know so people are used to just like asking you where you're from finding out about your background what kind of food you like what you're used to and people are just more open and honestly i think that's something i think I can pretty much get used to. I'm, I really like having my friends at least pay attention to me and also just make sure that I'm welcome within the friend group in that sense. Yeah, you low-key throwing shade on your friends for not listening to you though. Uh, feel free to make of it what you will. I mean, like, I completely agree with you on uh, so many aspects of what you've talked about. For me, uh, as someone who went for nine months and I've, I think I've noticed the differences a lot more ever since I came back to Malaysia. No, same. Literally. Like, I've seen differences, but coming back, you can really see the differences in front of you and then it becomes a lot clearer. I think it's not just the seeing, but also feeling. And it doesn't have to be a very in-your-face kind of thing, but you do notice the nuances. Like, yes. for instance, like, you know, all um, when I talk to my friends here, I sort of feel that there is a disconnect in terms of no shade to my friends. I love my Malaysian friends, but it's just a disconnect. Like I cannot have the same kinds of conversations that I have with my friends in the U.S. compared to my friends here. hundred percent. Yeah. And I also do feel that um, like personally, my mental health did a lot better when I was in the U.S. And I feel, if it, I think it also is because of the people that I was surrounded by. I feel that... Um, my people are open to expressing or being vulnerable with one another. Whereas in um, Malaysia, for instance, it wouldn't be like a common thing to really talk about your feelings all the time. I mean, there's been like progress on that front now, but the general vibe is that you tend to keep things to yourself because you don't want to make a big deal about it. And that's also a a big part of how we were brought up, I suppose. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say it's maturity either, but it's more so like the differences in terms of like and a very individualistic culture versus like something that's very collectivist. Um, I wouldn't have the conversations that I usually have with my friends in the US back in Malaysia. Same. I think you could point it down to it really just being a cultural thing because I remember a thing like my friend the Sydney told me when we were having a conversation about mental health that Americans in general are just more open to like going to therapy. Like, you know, over here, there's still a lot of stigma, especially among like adults or like people in a generation above us that like therapy is something you'd go to if you're sick whereas in the in the u.s like there is a big focus on making sure that your well-being and your state of mind is okay so therapy isn't as stigmatized that's one thing i remember like my friends telling me about but also just i think one thing that i would love to see normalized here is just asking for consent yeah like just consent or just i definitely agree on that oh malaysia's thorn in terms, in my opinion, don't really know how to respect people's boundaries as much. 
Oh. Again, disclaimer is not saying everyone's like that. Yeah. And like a, the general stereotype or the general vibe. Like, that you just get. take everything that we're saying with a grain of salt, you know? Pretty much. Like, this is also based on like our personal experiences. Our lived experiences could be very different to yours, you know? But yeah. to each their own. But just in general, I do think like what your point about America, about people like the states being so different. I think that's also another reason why Americans don't really venture out of their own country. Just because like going from, let's say, North Carolina all the way to Chicago would be like a five hour to six hour flight, including transits. And Chicago is completely different from North Carolina. Pretty much. like the west coast and the east coast are like completely different. completely no like if for here okay say you want to take like an hour and a half drive from here to say like malacca like people would say like that's far in the u.s that's not far yeah people would say that's near like road tripping is a very big thing that is you know a part of american culture but i guess it's like all in all like it is a very fast difference in terms of how they could like how people are like the way people talk you know it's it's definitely a lot different from Malaysia in terms of like normal interactions with people. Like there's diversity here, but in terms of like the day to day, if you go to a different state, there's not much of a difference between the way people interact with each other. Whereas in the US, there's like every state has their own cultural identity and yeah. it's so diverse, which is why it's like I said earlier, each state feels like its own country. So a lot of people don't feel the need to venture out because... For us, like, if you want a global experience, we need to go out of the country to just experience right, something right, else. Right. In the U.S., just go travel to a different state, and that's a full different ballgame. Yeah. And obviously, your point about, like, free speech, definitely agree that well, U.S. people are, like, the Americans are so much more expressive. Yes. Malaysia, that's not so much. Maybe that's due to, like, legislation. Maybe that's due to the way we brought up. I, mean, I don't know. Feel free to speculate on that. Probably also has to do with culture in general. Um, but yeah, there are definitely big differences between the US and Malaysia. And yeah. Did we did we talk about culture shock? Oh, shit. I feel like we spent so much time just talking about differences. And then we just didn't say anything about culture shock. Do you want to just talk about it a little bit? Yeah. So like, and in regards to like culture shock, uh, I definitely faced it but not to a very big scale that it completely like dismantled my way of thinking Mm -hmm. for me it was like one of the first culture shocks i have like two really like prevalent ones in my head the first time i ever went to a uh a restaurant in the u.s okay um, shout out to my roommate. Uh, she she helped me out with this. So we were ordering food, right? We went in and we sat down and she, I raised my hand, you know? Uh-huh. Because that's the blade. Yeah, that's, so that's what we do here. Where you go to a local kopi diem, which is like a hawker stall, and you raise your hand for the waiter to yep. come to you. Yeah. But in the US, you're not supposed to do that. You usually wait for the server to come to your table. So when I did that, my roommate was like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean what I'm doing? It's like, oh, you you wait for them to come to you. And I was like, oh. Like, that's not how it works. Yeah. And so that was one. And the other one was, um, I was in a big lecture hall. Okay. Okay. It was like one of my poly classes last semester. <laughs> and... I sneeze. Okay. And the professor and everyone around me said, bless you. 
I'm sure I think that would never happen here, but also, but also just like the anxiety you'd feel. Exactly. Everyone's looking at you like, oh my God. I was like so shocked, like literally. But yeah, for me, there were definitely culture shocks. It doesn't have to be even like the small ones, the nuances where we say in Malaysia, it's like if you bump into someone, you say like, oh, sorry. Then you'd be like, it's okay. But if you're in the US, they'll be like, you're fine. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. I you're know. Fine. I know. The first time I heard them like, um, okay, I got thrown off when my roommate first said that to me. But then turns out that's what everyone says when, you know, you bump into someone. Yeah. So like, I don't know about you, Rish, but those were like things for me personally. In, in terms of culture shock, like not blatantly, I think like the differences I mentioned mentioned also factor into culture shock. But like Erica said, it didn't really like just change the way I was thinking. It's yeah. like, oh, wow, I didn't realize things were like this. But because the way of the way the U.S. is portrayed in the media, you, you kind of know what you're getting into in a sense. Oh, yeah. But there are like small minor things that sometimes make you feel like, oh, yeah, you are definitely a foreigner in strange land. For me, at least one thing that sticks out is me occasionally slipping in British English whenever I'm speaking. Like, you know, calling the elevator to lift and confusing my roommate. Yes, yes, oh my God. <laughs> that has happened so many times. Oh my gosh. You know, like the car, like the car, the boot. Oh, the boot and the trunk. And it's like, I said it in front of my roommate's family, like, what the hell is a boot? And I'm like, oh, it's a trunk and i remember i was on holiday with one of my friends once and we found like you know people like street performing you know we call it busking and i'm like what does busking even mean i'm like wait do we not do you not call it that like no just say it's a street a street performance oh well okay that's something i didn't know so i didn't know that either my friend was like what even is busking yeah and i was not a thing so i guess like and also like revise you know how here it's like revise it's like you do revision yeah, apparently it's like exam. yeah but apparently that's not a thing when like, yeah. like my roommate, like I was saying my roommate, like I need to revise for your CS exam. I was like, why would you need to revise for a CS exam? I didn't know you had essays in CS. Oh. And I'm like, so revise refers to like making edits on your essays. Oh, oh, okay. And the act of revision, as we call it here, is review over there. Yeah. Or like in what I've learned is like you usually just have for the study. Yeah, pretty much you'd say that. So I guess like you could say that the cultural differences, like the culture shock moments were really like crazy. They were crazy. They were just, you know, small things or small interactions every day that make you realize, okay, yeah, you know what? I still have a lot to learn about America. Mm-hmm. And that do it do be like that. Mm. Question four okay. is about, okay, how would you categorize question four? I would say it's spicy. Spicy. Okay. Um, I would say. But it's also really important. About mainstream media. Or I don't know. Um, anyways, question four. Having spent nine months in the U.S., what are your thoughts on the U.S. portrayal in mainstream media? There's spicy. There's a lot to go into here. Spicy. Why did they do this to ourselves, bro? I mean, we said we were going to give people you know, the tea and the honest tea of what's going on is what we're going to tell you. You know, we're not going to sugarcoat it. So, yeah. And to be fair, this is pure, like, in no means are Richmond and I experts on, like, a lot of things that we're going to be talking about. Well, no, because we've had very specific experiences, you know. Like, a lot of the stuff you see on the media does happen. But having said that, whatever we're going to comment on from this point on is purely based on our own lived experiences and what people we know have told us. Yeah. So, again, like, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Take with a grain of salt. So, like, for me, like, 
for me in specific, um, I wouldn't say that the U.S.'s portrayal of, what I think mainstream media's portrayal of the U.S. is entirely wrong. Definitely not. I mean, things are happening. You know, they're coming from somewhere. It's I mean, not, it's not all fake news. Yeah, like in terms of like gun violence and you know, radical a more radicalized form of protesting. It's definitely something that happens in America. More so than it happens in the rest of the world. Or more so than it happens in Malaysia. Because yeah. I don't know about the rest. I don't want to go into that. That's true. But what I'm saying is like compared to Malaysia, it's a very big thing. Like a, that's a big contrast in that. And for me, when it comes to like the portrayal I was one of those people before I chose UNC. I, I'm not afraid to admit that I was skeptical of choosing UNC at first. More so, more because of like the campus culture? Or is it just because of like what North Carolina is portrayed to be a state? Yeah, I guess more so North Carolina portrayed, like how it's portrayed as a state. Right. Not saying that North Carolina is bad, but historically from us, when we've learned about the U.S. as Malaysians, we would learn, okay, North Carolina is in, or like, it's in the South, you know, where I'm studying is in the South. And, you know, um, civil wars and whatnot. The Confederacy. The Confederacy. It's like, even like when I'm in DiFi, right? The Dialectic and Philanthropic Societies, a lot of people from DiFi, like the alumni, like our founding fathers from DiFi, were really, really racist people. Like, they were white supremacists. And that's the whole idea. Like, as a Malaysian person who had never been to the U.S. before, before, like, last year, all I could rely on was, like, mainstream media to, like, uh, tell me how the United States was going to be. It was, like, like, paint a picture. Like, yeah, exactly. Painted a picture that the U.S. was this way. Or, like, it was very like messed up not to mention the whole entire period between 2020 to 2021 of like covid not like radicalized protesting yeah and then like the january 6 insurrections yeah a bunch of things that happened and obviously as someone who was doing adp that was something that was a concern of mine because that was all i knew you know what i mean that was all i had the american like of the american experience at that time was what i was would see on newspapers and what I would see on social media, you know? So I wouldn't say that the portrayal is necessarily bad, but as someone who's been there for nine months, I can definitely tell you that um, what concerns you have are real, but you should not let that consume you or it should not be the only thing, like whether it be gun violence or whatnot, this shouldn't be the only thing that you know, you should focus on when it comes to the United States. Yeah, and I think on that, right, at least for me, it's very important to put a lot of these things you see in news into context. Like, it's very important to contextualize what goes on in the U.S. because we've said before, the U.S. is, like, huge, right? Mm -hmm. Every state is very different. So you need to conceptualize stuff that happens and understand that a lot of what happens can be due to a variety of factors. I mean, obviously gun violence is a thing, but also like you can probably tell that historically gun violence occurs a lot more in certain areas than it does in other areas. I think what's important to note is that 
when you're making a choice of like which school you want to go to, you want to look into resources. Yeah. Because this isn't just a concern that foreigners have. Like even Americans are also concerned about the things that go on in their country. Like it's not something that everybody opts into, you know? So there are a lot of resources out there that can not only help you feel a lot more safe, about your college choice, but just also ensure that you are very informed about what you're getting into. So I'd say look into that. But also, like Erica said, just understand that that's not the only thing. Like, you're definitely not the first and you're definitely not going to be the last Malaysian who's going to set foot in the US. People have been there. And having said that, people have been like, I don't want to say relatively safe because, you know, everyone's experiences is different. But I will say that, like, it's not something that, you know, is going to be in your face happening all the time. Like, understand that there is a risk that things could happen to you. Understand that, like, this has to be a risk that you are willing to take. But with that being said, it's not going to be, like, in your face. It's not going to be the only thing that informs your college experiences. Like, I think the way I want to put this is don't let um, the fact that these things can happen just overshadow all the potential benefits that you could get from having an American education because there's a lot like when you opt into studying in America like for all the benefits it has you're also opting into like these risks and it honestly it just is what it is you know these things happen but at the end of the day you got to make that choice right you got to evaluate if you really want to go to America and if the benefits that you can get from a U.S. education are something you really want yeah and you are okay with taking that risk of setting stepping into the U.S. Yeah. I think it's also just important to say it's not just gun violence, you know, because safety is a concern, but also like a lot of people have asked me about like racism and hate crimes. Like mm, I think there was a, with what's been happening. Yeah, with like the and like Asian hate crimes that have been happening recently. Like, is there anything like you could say on that? Like, have you had any experiences that you want to talk about? Thankfully, thankfully for me, I've not had um uh any sort of encounters like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because of like college town and the people I spend time with and who I'm around or how UNC like is like and the type of people that there are in UNC. Mm -hmm. I've been thankful enough to to not be in that position. Right. But like the same thing applies to, you know, it's... So it's it can be a not it's like it's not your fault first and foremost like I don't know Rich like you asked me a difficult question I I mean I'm fortunate enough to not be in that position or have been in that position but if that situation really really happens to me obviously it's something that would not only worry me but my parents mm -hmm. but it is also something that I cannot possibly avoid now since I've made that decision. That is true. Um, so it's again like what I've mentioned is just like opting into like that risk. But also one thing I feel like I should talk about because I also, I've also been fortunate enough to say that I haven't been hate crime or at least I haven't really experienced like the full force of racism or full brunt of it during my time in the US. But I will say that like although the US like can have a bad rep in the media for you know occurrences like this you want to just contextualize that it's not something that's exclusive to us things happen in malaysia as well that we don't talk about yeah like as someone who's like i think i'm right in saying that indian people are considered a minority in malaysia and as someone who has had the experience of living in a minority in a country for like i'd say 18 to 19 years of my life i will say that like 
I've also had negative experiences here that somehow I've also not experienced in the US. Like I you maybe you could attribute that to like the people I'm surrounded by, or maybe it's just maturity. But one thing I will say is that it's not use it's not racism is not something that's unique to the US. It's something that happens in a lot of parts in the world. Exactly. So at the end of the day, a lot of it ties down to the research that you do. And honestly, like we talked earlier on about making sure your college is a good fit, right? I think a lot of it goes into just YouTube videos and just looking at the culture. I think if you're able to surround yourself by the right people, and importantly, if you know you have resources, I'd like to say you, you, you'd be pretty much fine. Yeah. Like Erica says, like, things can happen, but I think not only are you, like, telling yourself that you're going to be okay with the risk, but you're surrounding yourself with ample resources and you're surrounding yourself with the right people to ensure that you have the best possible experience. Yeah. Like even if you're like, if like for me, at least if I were to stay in Malaysia, I'd say I'd have to do the same thing because the risk of me, you know, having a negative college experience also exists in that sense. So I wouldn't say it's something exclusive to like the U S college experience. For sure. And so just like I've mentioned about, you know, die fine historically, like being very white supremacist, like, and you know, times have changed from them. I think it's a very important thing to to note that you should not let this fear of what you read on the media, like it should be a concern, but it should not be something that should consume you to the extent where you are so fearful of like the um, of America in general. I think one good thing to note, because when you talk about that, right, is that, you know, we talk about radicalized protests and people just being more vocal about things. I would like to think of that as a good thing because that means that people like you are more likely to voice out their concerns than they would be in like where we come from. For sure. So in that sense, like even if things do happen, like it's important to note that there is a community out there for you because the U.S. is very diverse. Like we talk a lot about Malaysia being diverse, like Honestly? The U.S. is really just Honestly? full of people from tons of different places. Yeah, like, to be very frank, um, I am, I'm going to say this as honestly as possible. I would say that the U.S., in terms of diversity and inclusivity, compared to Malaysia, the U.S. does have a, like, there's free speech in the U.S., even though free speech is a very, like, contextual thing, you know, like, doesn't apply to, like, it... it, it On a scale, it exists in, great, in a yeah, greater... Yeah, but my, like, what I'm trying to say is that um, you, we don't have that in Malaysia. Like, a lot of things that happen in the U.S., like the radicalized protesting, would never exist in Malaysia. It's called. It's a cultural thing, you know. We just wouldn't speak. It's a cultural thing. It's It's, also laws. It's also laws and censorship and the way the government would want to try to contain, like, the people's opinion. Uh, I'm like, as a woman in Malaysia, like, seeing the way other parliamentary members speak to other women in the parliament, like. Hannah Yo's case the other day. It's disrespectful, but then again, you would you could tell if that happened in the US, there would be a ton more backlash. Yeah, a ton more backlash. In like I Malaysia is homophobic, misogynistic, transphobic. Like if it is what it is. It is what it is, okay? And I'm just gonna say it, like, um, in terms of like, you know, 
the U.S. talks about, you know, there's police brutality in the U.S., right? Police brutality exists in Malaysia as well. It like, happens in... But, like, marginalized communities, like you said, in the community, even, like, indigenous people, like, there are instances of police brutality. They're just not as mainstream oh as stuff God. in the U.S. Yeah, because reporting just... there There's a lack of reporting. I think a lot of journalists are also afraid of just, like, speaking out on it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, sometimes even, like, victims families themselves just don't want the attention there's a stigma around reporting like that like yeah a lot of times when things happen in malaysia people just don't want to deal with it like i remember when the black lives matter movement was like gaining traction in social media and a lot of uh, malaysians were also retweeting and commenting about that and there were one or two comments in isolation that i did find not a lot of people were sharing around but like it's all well and good supporting the movement but it's also important to take a step back and look at what's happening in your own country as well like exactly it's so to just sum it all up basically like we all have our problems we all have our problems we all gotta get our shit together at some point you're here what oh my gosh question five is about staying or leaving aha would you prefer to stay in the u.s after graduation or will you come back to Malaysia? I think it's something we're both like in the midst of considering because oh there are a lot of factors. Like, notwithstanding what we just talked about. Yeah, I think the first, with what we've covered in the last two questions, there's definitely like, you know, do, first of all, I think with the US is, do I want to stay is one question. But another thing that you have to consider is, if I'm a, if I can stay in the US. Exactly. If it's the H1B visa thing, um, it's it's basically a lottery system at this point, though. No? Yeah, it is a lottery system. So the upper like it it's all a 50-50 chance if I would get it or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but also like on wanting to stay, there are a lot of reasons as to why you would want to stay in the US. I mean. For instance, let's say four years of college, you've had a positive experience in the U.S. I think just your earning potential is obviously a big thing to think about, especially like going into these uncertain times. You would want to ensure you have a stable income and the U.S. can definitely provide that. Like, obviously, the 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 cost of living in America is definitely a lot higher in the U.S., but you have to contextualize that with like it. Again, the U.S. being very big, different states have different up. median salaries they have you know different costs of living and depending on where you live you can find a sweet spot of a place right that you know works within whatever you're earning you know you're able to commute to work within a reasonable time and you're able to afford everything that you need to because i think a lot of one problem with malaysia that a lot of people talk about is that although like our currency is like relatively low like on a global scale and also like i mean of course i know just like looking at the exchange rate going back like dang gotta start saving gotta start saving you know gotta start cooking more (laughs) but on like on that note right even though like things are like relatively cheap by american standards here salaries are not going as a fast like yeah. At like a similar rate. Like a lot of people have done comparisons, not just from the US, but even like but, like our neighbor Singapore, our salaries just aren't that high. Like I remember seeing posts on Facebook about saying like, oh, how to like budget on like a thousand four hundred ringgit per month. And honestly, like seeing the breakdown, people expect you to say like you spend 40 or 50 ringgit on petrol. Like that's not realistic. You know, things are going up constantly and like salaries need to match that yeah like one thing i've definitely noticed as a stem major is that 
salaries for like software engineers or like people working at CS are significantly lower than they are overseas or in the US especially. So a lot of people would tell me and even I would think for myself that like if you could get a job in the US, you're pretty much set because you could just earn a lot more. Yeah. And also another reason why I prefer to stay, I've talked a lot about the culture, about people being more open. And I think like for the person I am, you know, just wanting to be more open about issues and wanting people to accept me, I find, I feel like I found that within my friend group in the US. And I think that also just extends to like the culture of the people at large. So I'd say that like, because I feel comfortable in that environment, I would like to continue being in that environment. That makes sense. Yeah. Like it's very different from my experience in Malaysia and it's something I really, yeah. it really speaks to me. Like, did you see the, I, I think it was from says.com that they had this post about this girl who was graduated in honors from chemistry. Mm-hmm. And from, I think, I, I forgot which university, I might put it here, but, uh, and then she's now working at KFC. Oh, in the US? No, in Malaysia. Oh. So it's like, I do, like, a lot of young people, what I've noticed, a lot of young people have been definitely voicing out their opinions on, you know, the insanely low pay of fresh grad. Very much so. Yeah, in Malaysia. I'm not really sure, sh- like, I'll put in the resource. I mean, it's a mean for students anyway, like, Employers are always looking for experience, but like if you're a student, where are you going to get that experience from? Yeah. And as for me, as I feel like I'm in very different circumstances compared to you because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's also true. And like I do, I would love to continue. Like what my vision is that, okay, two years from now, when I graduate, I would get my first job in the US and I would, um, as a social science humanities history major, get a job you have optional practical training of like a year right yeah a year and then um working in the u.s hopefully for two years Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like even like for that right the h1 like opt right is a lot it's It's easier for stem it's longer for stem majors like you can apply for extension for an extra two years so i'd say i'm fortunate in that regard yeah so like at the end of the day the world still thinks that stem major people are a lot smarter than social sciences and math. which objectively isn't true because yeah. there's so much overlap between like social sciences humanities and like yeah. stem as a whole yeah but like my point is it's like i had this really serious conversation with my parents once about um uh, me as a woman and my viability as like a non-citizen working in america right and a lot of times it's like my dad would tell me like we get that you want to work your way up the food chain, right? But at a certain point, it might be harder than how it was because of how the world works. And what he meant by that was, uh, or what my parents meant by that was, you know, at the end of the day, you are still a woman of color. That is true. Like, even though society is getting more and more progressive, that stigma still exists. Yeah, so that's why there are a lot of things that I have to consider. I would love to work in the US for my first two years, but would I see myself settling down there for the rest of my life? I'm not sure yet, you know? And then I personally don't want to come back to Malaysia, what I'm thinking about right now. I I would agree on that. Yeah, just because of how they're underpaying fresh grads and how like so many of us, like me went abroad, right? You went abroad and like so many of us are going abroad because we 
know that in many ways, Malaysia does not value a lot of its talents because of the way public sectors or even private sectors have set things up, you know what I mean? And uh, as someone who's doing a political science degree as well, my first thought was like, I would want to come back to make policies better for women and children. But I think there's just too many systemic barriers that you have to overcome before you can even get to like the Precisely. things. So if I actually do want to come back, I would definitely have to have like some sort of reputation of financial standing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, to be able to achieve something like this. So to answer the question, I honestly don't know. <laughs> Maybe after graduation, I could see, I, I hope, fingers crossed, that I would get my first job in the U.S. I, I mostly agree. I want to stay in the U.S. if I can't stay in the U.S. Mm-hmm. With that being said, Malaysia's prospects, at least in my eyes, don't look very good. I mean, obviously, we ha- there's a possibility that we'll have to come yeah, back to the yeah. Malaysia because obviously with Malaysian citizens are like, if you can't stay in the US, where else will you go? With that being said, I really hope that in the next few years, things improve. I don't know where that hope comes from, but you know, it is what it is because with like stuff we said about salaries and also just like with the way things are progressing, I think not just like economically, but also politically, mm. Malaysia isn't exactly the best place to be when you're considering your options. So there's also that to consider. Yeah. The last question of the day, what is one piece of advice you wish you had known before going abroad? Ooh, there are a lot of things I wish I had known. Like, you know, not to pack so many things. That will be one. But uh, in terms of more serious advice, I guess just hang in there. Just be calm and just, you know, Take things with like a great, let's just go in there with an open mind, honestly, because the U.S. isn't as overwhelming as it seems to be. Because I distinctly remember when I was about to leave for the U.S., I remember being very stressed. But whether I had all my documents, whether I had my visa, whether I had my F1, whether I had all my documents, all my papers, I had all my belongings with me. And I think, honestly... Even though people say like U.S. immigration is hard, it's honestly, it's not that deep. Like it's just a process you have to go through. And once you're in, you're in. People are more than welcoming and people are willing to help you out. So what I would say is just, what I would want to say to myself before I had gone is just like, just be calm and just like, don't stress too much. Don't rush things. Just take your time and just go with the flow because it's adapting Although it's like a challenge, I just think things would have been easier if I wasn't constantly stressing about things that I had to remember or things that I had to have because people are more than willing to help you out is what I've like realized because it's not just like the people you meet on the street or like people around you. It's like your university is going to give you a lot of resources to help you out. Like I remember like I was also given like an international peer mentor, like someone to talk to before I went to BU. So that for me, was really helpful. So honestly, like, just don't be afraid to, like, ask for help. Don't be afraid to rely on people and just, like, don't stress out too much because at the end of the day, you're going abroad or you're going to America. This is something you've been looking forward to for a long time. The last thing you want to do is to, like, be super stressed out about the logistics of things and not be able to enjoy the experience because it's honestly pretty fun, you know, going to a new country, meeting meeting new people, exploring new places. You want to be able to enjoy that. You want to be in the, the right frame of mind. 
So it's just like take a chill pill, I guess. That's what I would say. If you can. Like for me, like this is what I like to tell people that I wish I would have known myself. Like there are a lot of the like there are a lot of things about the US that you may like or you may not like. Not every day is going to be sunshine and rainbows, especially when you're living alone as an international student. Oh, definitely not. Oof. Like homesickness is definitely a thing. Yeah, like dealing with that and whatnot. But what I would like to say is um, you don't necessarily have to like it, but once you've committed to it, you can only learn to like live with it yeah and i think there are so many times where i wouldn't think like oh what if you know this happened what if i didn't choose this i can't do that anymore you know i think it's just like maybe starting to accept the choice that you've made and yeah. accept the reality that you're in yeah because it's not easy to turn back yeah and to like go more into detail about that i think so many people like people should be less hard on college students in general like, if you look at it from, like, this perspective, we, a lot of us just graduate at high school, and a lot of us are just learning how to be adults for the first time. Oh, 100%. Right? So, like, I think a lot of us have this misconception where with the older we are, when we turn 21, right, or when we start college, we would automatically know that we have to, like, we will automatically have things figured out. Well, no, it doesn't And that's like not that. the case. Like, you're going to be... You're going to go through a lot of things. And everything about being in college is fast. It changes really quickly. And there are moments where you definitely will like it more than others. But never, like, you don't have to have it figured out. Like, you, you're just learning how to get by with life. And even if you graduate, who knows what you, you may not, you, you still may not know or have it figured out yet. I mean, isn't the point of college to figure things out? Yeah, to figure things out. I'll, you don't have to necessarily have an answer or like a determinant or anything that's permanent in general when it comes to like knowing what you want to do and knowing what you want to see. Right. So like my whole idea is like you don't have to have everything planned out for you. You don't have to think that I, I suck because things aren't the way I envisioned them to be or things aren't figured out yet. Right, because that's what college is for. You know, you go through the experiences that you are going through and you learn more about yourself that way and that can help inform what that final answer is going to look like. Yeah, and dude, come on. You're not even like a quarter into your life yet, you know? You're like like a child, metaphor. Yeah, you are a child, a big child, essentially. So, like, don't be so hard on yourself. And on that note, like, it's okay to be not okay. I think also another thing that I wanted, I would want to say to myself is just take, take more breaks. Like, if you're not feeling it, it's fine. You know, you can take a break. You don't have to push yourself so hard. Like, I think a lot of people think like because you're going abroad, there's an expectation that you have to live up to a certain standard, whether it be parental pressure or whether it be a standard that you want to hold yourself up to. It's okay to sometimes not meet that standard, right? We all have our off days. Yeah. It's a big process. Like, you need to understand that while like you're in college, you're, of course, like studying further your career and whatnot, like 
you're also like still developing as a human being. You're still trying to figure out how to be an adult, you know? It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not have everything figured out. Mm. We're all in the same boat, you know? All suffering together. We're all as broke college students just trying to make our way through life. Exactly. So don't be too hard on yourself. Like you are doing enough, even if things aren't always perfect. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're going to... You're going to get there eventually, you know? We're all, like, from Richmond and me, we're all going through... We're figuring it out, you know? We don't have the answers yet. Yeah, so you don't have to have your answers to even by the time you're a senior or when you graduate, you know? You do you. Yeah, you make your own timeline. Yeah, and I guess... That's kind of a wrap for our spilling the tea session. Well, I hope this was informative. Yeah. You know, we talked about a lot of things, you know, went into a lot of depth. Yeah. And I guess like the new school year is approaching for both me and you. As so excited. Tons of people out there. And oh my gosh, I'm really excited to be back on campus. Chapel Thrill, baby. Cheers. You don't have to say anything else after that? Well, I don't know. What else do you want me to say? So I guess, like, uh, that's a wrap from the both of us. Uh, have a great... Thank you for watching the video. If you like what you're seeing, Please subscribe. subscribe, of course. Uh, this... Yeah, and... If you want to hear the full uncut version, you know, with stuff that we decided, you know, has been too long to... Wait, let's cut this off. Okay. Okay, yeah, fair enough. We'll do that separately. Yeah, we need to pause the recording or the keyboard. Okay. Pause. So that actually And I guess that's a wrap for our spilling the tea session. Yeah, I hope that was informative and I hope you learned a lot. You know, we did go into a lot of depth. You know, we talked about important yeah. issues. Yeah, uh, and... I know it's going to be the new school year for everyone very soon. So excited. So very exciting. Uh, we're wishing all students who are, you know, starting their fall semester soon, have like a great year, have a great new school year. Um, and <laughs> subscribe if you like what you see. And we'll see you next time. Right. Bye. Do we like uh talk about everything we want to talk yeah. about? Definitely not. There were definitely things that after answering questions, we were like, you know what? We could have said this. Like, I think when we talked about uh culture shock, mm -hmm. I think we talked about differences. I think one thing we didn't talk about is definitely like when I remembered like one of the words that stuck out to me. I mean, we talked about elevators lift and your review revised, bill and check. And then that just reminded me of like the whole tippy culture. Mm -hmm. And that's also something that's like really unique to the U.S. That doesn't happen in Malaysia. And honestly, you know, you need to consider that when you're go eating out, you know, you got to tip where we're serving you. Yeah. So like, I definitely agree. Like tipping was something that I was very near to. <laughs> I know in like it differs on depending on like country. Okay. I okay. I need to ask though, what is, what is the default tip for you? Default tip. I need to, I want to hear this. Depending on, I usually base it off like what I buy, but it would never be lower than $2.50. Okay, so you have a monetary value, right? So I think I was told the standard tip is 15%. 
Yeah, 15, 15. Yes, yes, yes. 15%. That's the standard tipping. Yeah, like if you're really feeling generous, I mean, I don't know why you would feel that as a broke college student wants to save money. It would be either what, 18 or 20. Mm-hmm. But like, if you really feel like the service was bad, I think like 10% will do. Yeah. And also 10% is just easy to calculate if you're like, and I think for time. students aren't like the servers would understand that we are college students and we would not really like, uh, it's not like a superbly uh, big deal. I mean, again, you know, it's all about context. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I guess also a lot of like, like what my, like what your friend says that my friend says is like, you know, if you want to get a green card, you should just settle down you know yeah. and i am a partner this yeah. is uh, something that multiple people have told me and i'm like and i'm like squirrel okay okay here's the thing right going to the u.s i don't want to get into the really and into a relationship for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. i don't think anyone sane wants that mm-hmm. even if you can avoid the whole h1b thing and they you don't know, actually get to settle down in the u.s it has to be right still mm-hmm. right for sure is this something you've thought about like settling down with someone in the u.s yeah honestly if it works out i would like for it to work out but i i haven't dated anyone yet i mean same so like what i would say is like it definitely could be a prospect if i meet the right person but i guess in that sense, I don't really know. Just because would I give up my Malaysia citizenship for a U.S. citizenship? Oh, I would. You I've would? I've already like thought that through, and I think I genuinely would give up my Malaysia citizenship. I think why why would I give it up? I think reason being is since okay, it's a podcast and can be completely honest. So as a Malaysian, I don't feel my rights are safeguarded, and I feel like. Even though I wasn't born in America, I feel from the time I'm spent there on a student visa, I feel like people are, I feel like my rights have been more safeguarded. Like I talk about being valid as a, pers- as a person, like it's not just the friends, you know, like I feel like genuinely my status as an individual in that country is more safeguarded than it is in Malaysia because it's not just things that you see, it's more ingrained. Like when you go home and you talk to your parents, people say like, oh, you know, as a dark-skinned person in Malaysia, you have to be careful about this and that. People sometimes like look at you the wrong way. There's still a lot more stigma. I know that happens in the US, but generally in my experience, I have felt a lot less stigmatized. And also like, I feel some kind of like security in the fact that I know that even if things were to happen, there is a community that's able to speak up to me. For sure. Like for me, I'm also like lucky enough to have not been in a position, you know, where I was cat No, I've been cat before, but yeah. That, that happens, that happens. I, doesn't mean it's right. It's not right at all, but you know. Yeah, but like what I'm trying to say is like, um, I definitely feel that my U.S. friends are a lot more open-minded than my Malaysian friends. Okay. I definitely know people who are like borderline homophobic in Malaysia uh, or actually just homophobic in general. Yeah, they they definitely exist. I think, you know, an interesting observation for me is that, you know, how people are so scared of the, the gun violence in the U.S. and people like to demonize Republicans for that. A lot of people don't realize that the general Malaysian culture, like, 
most Malaysians subscribe to a lot of Republican values that aren't the best, like, yeah. you know, or like casual misogyny and just like transphobia, just like homophobia and exactly. like lots of other, you know, not so great values. And, and I also think that a lot of Malaysia uses religion to back up that. Oh, 100%. You know, just because a lot of our constitution is also just founded on religious values, it just, I mean, okay, even though Malaysia claims to be diverse, we are an Islamic country, right? There's still like some kind of prioritization going on there. And obviously, again, people say this is a sensitive topic, but actually, no, never mind, I'm not going to go over it. I was going to say like, you know, um, okay, no, wait, I can say this. So a lot of what Malaysia represents mm-hmm. is divided along racial lines because, of course, you can blame our colonizers for that. And it's something that a lot of people still subscribe to. You know, when passing judgment on people or when trying to, like, you know, make a judgment character on people, people tend to default to your race first mm-hmm. rather than what you represent. Mm-hmm. And... This is more of a personal anecdote, but as someone who doesn't, like, I don't really find myself very Indian because I don't conform to a lot of the stereotypical values that that represents. I also just, for some reason, I can't speak my brother's tongue, tongue for reasons like I'm not really sure myself. And that has also led to me feeling growing up in Malaysia that I wasn't able to fit in as well. Because I think being different, like, being it okay like for context right i went to a primary school like elementary school for context that was like primarily chinese oh yeah know that okay yeah it was a private school the streets important as international school now for context okay so that was my experience i didn't have a lot of indian friends actually i had very few indian friends probably like one or two and majority of my friends were chinese and while for the most part that was fine i remember things being i remember it being a bit a little bit difficult to fit in because i think because I, I don't I don't think kids are born racist. Kids are not born racist. But with that being said, because my lived experiences were also a lot a very different from what theirs were, it was a lot it was quite difficult to relate on a certain way. And also just because not a lot of people speak English, I think it's documented on this podium. English is my first language. It's English is the language I'm most comfortable speaking. A lot of people I know tend to prefer to be speaking in Madrid, of course. And even though they mean well, because they're not super comfortable speaking English, they tend to like not interact with you as much because it's difficult. And that I've always found that a bit difficult. Like I always found like there was felt that like there was an obligation for me to at least like get better at Mandarin, at least try to learn it because, you know, it would help me out. But at the same time, I always felt like, why is this something I need to do like to fit in? You know, like mm. why do, why is it the burden just on me to sort of adapt to other people? And then my experience of going to like a public high school also was like very eye-opening because y- you could really see that things were also really polarized along racial lines. Like one thing I noticed is definitely not only your friends, but also teachers passing like judgment on you or making assumptions about your character just because of your race, like a lot of like, a lo- I think Indian kids in high schools have a reputation of like, one, not really being well to do, like not being so well off and also just being involved in like gags and being involved in like, let's just say unsatisfactory activities. And that can also have a negative rep on you. Like, although people don't say it explicitly, there is an underlying feeling of discomfort because I think also a lot of people are told not to engage with like 
racial tensions because you don't want to start something. People say that like you shouldn't talk about it. You want to get along with people. You want to try and get to know people. Don't say things that offend them. But because of that, it leads to like a lot of people keeping these feelings inside. Or even if we don't feel it, I think it's just from the interaction to have with people. Stuff like this is internalized and you you can sort of sense that things aren't, you know, as satisfactory. Like people treat you a different way from how they would treat people of their own kind. One thing I definitely noticed starting like form one or like seventh grade is that people just default to making friends within their own race. Like it doesn't matter if like you get along with another person better. It's like people tend to see what you look like first and then later on they get to know your character. And I always felt that was something that I wasn't super comfortable with because I didn't opt into that, you know? And also like... I, I want to try my hand at getting to know other people. Like, I don't want to be gatekept like that. Yeah. Whereas in the US, right, despite all that the media has said about people being racist, hate crimes happening, I have felt a lot more welcome. Like, because of how diverse the US is now, maybe that's also a byproduct of that. People, I distinctly remember this, right? Like, people will ask you if you're Indian or you're not AC when you're here, and people will ask you fill it in on the forums. In the US, People don't even ask me about your background. Don't ask me where you're from. People just ask you your name. Sometimes people don't even ask you your name. People just are just willing to like mingle with you. People are willing to engage and get to know you. And your background is secondary. It's completely like, it's not, unless you want people to know about your background, it's not something you have to be upfront about. And that's why I would think I felt a lot more comfortable in the US because I personally felt I never really subscribed to like this, these Malaysian ideals because I don't fit into boxes. I feel like the Malaysian culture likes to put people into boxes because it makes it easier to understand and you know how to approach people. And when you don't conform to those boxes, things get a little uncomfortable. It's little things like people coming up to you and speaking to you in like a language that they expect you to understand and you don't. And then things aren't as easy. Whereas like in America, everyone just speaks to me in English. Like it's pretty much straightforward. So I've sort of accepted that reality. So that's why from a young age, I've always thought like, if I could go abroad, maybe things would be better. Of course, people would tell me like, you know, there's gun violence in the US, you know, things may not be as it seems, you know, racism does exist, but I've always thought like, I want to go for myself and see whether I'd fit in better. And for the most part, I'd like to think I have. I've honestly felt a lot freer in the US. My mental health, health, health has improved dramatically. Like, I don't feel the need to like, change the way I talk or change the way I present myself to see more appealing to other people because everyone is just so different. Everyone's so accepting of you being the way you are. So in a nutshell, that's basically why I feel a lot more comfortable. I know it's longer than it should have, but that's that's how I viewed it. That's And that they all say, I mean, not on that front. I mean, looking at other questions, we definitely talked a lot about wanting to stay in the US. I think it's pretty much straightforward. I think if we can stay, we stay. If we can stay, we got you with that reality, although I'm not looking forward to that. Um, advice, mainstream media. We've definitely talked about culture shock, right? Yes. Is there anything you want to say about homesickness? Because for all the good things about the US, you know, you do sometimes miss Malaysia. I like, think like the first time I based homesickness was when I went to the cinemas for the first time and I watched Chang-Chi. Okay. And I guess... It made me really think about home and it also made me realize that I actually do love my family a lot. Right. Despite how flawed like we may be. Um, and I guess what I did to cope with homesickness was actually like besides eating 
the packet noodles that I brought over and um, called like the, besides that, you know, eating food that I like or listening to music that I like Malay from Malaysian artists. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that really brought me back was to just like to help me cope with it was to call some of my friends or most importantly, talk to my family about it. I guess like be honest with them about how I felt was really helped me like realize that, you know, like it made me feel less alone in this. And they also missed me a lot. And it was uh, like dealing with homesickness is like it, it, I think people don't realize that it comes unexpectedly. Yeah. It comes from a very unexpected way. It's not necessarily like, oh, something happens uh, or it's it's not a gradual build. It's a sudden smack in the face. I think that's the same with like anything people are facing. It's never like, oh, like sometimes I remember when I tell my parents like, oh, I'm feeling sad. Like, why did something happen? Sometimes it's just been, no, something didn't happen. I just suddenly felt that way, you know? Yeah. It, it comes in like bursts. I guess like in homesickness is specific. It's just like little things that trigger you. Mm-hmm. I did feel very homesick during my first Christmas away from home. Right. And that was because uh, I always sort of spent Christmas with my grandma. And I guess it was the first year that I didn't spend with her, which also definitely affected the way I felt during Christmas. I was very upset, but I was very glad. That, like I talked about it with my roommate. I was like spending my entire winter break with her and I was telling her, you know, and they were very understanding and they did whatever they could to make me feel better. And eventually I did. So like at the end of the day, it's just like find a support system. Yeah. I always lead back to finding a support system because it's very important and you need it, you know, like not just within your American friends, but also your Malaysian friends can be a good resource for sure. So use that. Yeah, I guess that's it, I mean. Oh my god. Oh no. And I don't think I have anything else that I want to say on that topic. So with that being said, thank you all so much for listening to this joint collab with Bouncing Board and Tondel Tidu. No. New episodes weekly on Tondel Tidu. And if you want to know when new episodes are coming out on Bouncing Board, of course, please do subscribe. And, oh. we, hope, and we hope to see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Bye.